Matthew chapter 7, we are going to be looking at a few of the parables. I love the parables of Jesus, and throughout the years, we love coming back, studying some of the parables, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. But before that, about 30 years ago, 29 years ago, to be exact, June of 95, did you know one of the busiest department stores in Seoul collapsed, taking 502 lives and injuring 937 people. I mean, like, imagine going to, like, Galleria or um, Hyundai department store. And, and that, there's one in Apujang across where we live. And, and imagine just, just 30 years ago, this had happened. On that early summer day, June of 95, Sampung, it's hard to say, department store, bustling with shoppers and employees collapsed in a massive heap. And the tragedy serves as an important reminder of devastating consequences of building not having strong foundation. Right? It's about having strong foundation. And last several weeks, as church community, we have been looking at the theme of 2024, which is to be rooted. Strong foundation, having strong roots. Uh, Because only faith that is founded on the right foundation can will be able to withstand the challenges and the difficulties and unexpected events of life. Only faith on right foundation can withstand the challenges and the weight of life itself. So Matthew 7, 24, 24, 27, let's read it together. This is Jesus at the end of a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps one of the most profound well-known teachings of Jesus. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lends the plane of his sermon with, with this parable. Having taught everything, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods come, and the winds blew, and beat on, the, on that house, But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods come and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Picture this. Two builders stood at the beginning of their construction projects One wise, the other not so wise. Let's call them wise Will and foolish Fred. A little old school, like 80s preaching, yes. Wise Will was known for his meticulous planning. Anyone anyone love planning? Loves planning? He was was a meticulous planner, and he had this thoughtful approach to construction. He surveyed the land, examined the soil, and consulted with experienced builders, Because he wanted a solid foundation for his house. Something that could withstand the test of time and the whims of nature. On the other hand, foolish Fred was more interested in shortcuts and immediate gratification. He saw a plot of land that looked appealing. In fact, he got it half off. Like the realtor says, this land is half off. He's like, I'm in. Without much consideration, he quickly laid the foundation for for his house. It seemed sturdy enough. And Fred was eager to build a home for himself. And as time passed, 
A storm began to brew on the horizon. Dark clouds gathered and raindrops started falling. The wind howled and the elements unleashed their fury upon these two new homes. Wisewill's house, built on solid foundation, stood tall and firm against the raging storm. Will had invested time and effort in building a resilient foundation, and it paid off when the storm came knocking. Meanwhile, foolish Fred's house, constructed on a haste and shallow foundation, faced a different fate. The storm's onslaught proved too much for the poorly laid groundwork. The house began to shake and tremble. It soon enough it fell, and the aftermath, as the storm clouds cleared, Wiseville surveyed the scene. His house, though weathered, stood strong and defiant. Fred, on the other hand, looked at the ruins of his once hopeful dwelling. And Jesus says in verse 24, Those who hear these words of mine and does them will be like Wiseville. And anyone who simply hears my words but fails to put them into practice will be like the foolish man. Very clear and simple bottom line. This this parable, unlike many of the other parables, pretty clear what Jesus wants to tell us. Strong foundation is important for the house to be able to stand. But a few minor details before we go into the major observations. So a few minor details. One, first century Middle Eastern culture, the culture that Jesus is speaking this parable to, people usually built their own homes. Right? That was sort of the common practice. None of us, when we are looking for a home, we're thinking, hey, we're going to build our home, right? But people at the time, they, 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 were, they knew what it took to build a house. It was, it was part of their culture. And they knew culturally in their region, region that was prone to earthquakes, you needed to choose a right foundation. That was very important. And everyone hearing this story understood what Jesus was talking about because they understood the type of challenges in the climate that they were facing. Second, the two builders represent not one Christian and a non-Christian. That's what we assume when we look at the story. It's actually both are Christians. Both are listening to Jesus' words. Jesus is speaking to the crowd that have gathered to hear from Jesus. Right? So it's not about a Christian and a non-Christian, but they're both Christians. And both found Jesus' teaching to be good, yet only one, the wise one, put them into practice. Third, the most important element here in the story is the foundation of the house. Again, the foundation of the house. Jesus does not go into details of the, the, the house, the materials, how many bedrooms, how many baths, how ni- nice the garage and the garden. He does any of those things. None of those things matter. When storm arrives, what you need is what? Strong foundation. Only strong foundation will withstand the weather. Those are three minor things. Now, three major observations that we'll walk through the parable. First, stormy nature of life. Stormy nature of life. Second, sandy foundation. Third, true greatness. First, stormy nature of life. Jesus calls this man foolish, right? The man who, didn't, who heard Jesus but did not put into practice. He says, this man's foolish. Why was, he, why was he called foolish? Because he failed to anticipate the storms and the rain and the earthquakes, right? That was, I mean, they, and anyone who was building a house at the time in that region knew storms are coming. Our area is prone to earthquakes, so we got to prep and prepare. 
Yet Jesus says this man was foolish because he has failed to anticipate the storm that was coming. And the parable, when you think about what Jesus is talking about as he lands his, this, this very important sermon, taps into a fundamental human longing for stability and a sense of security. No matter who you are, no matter who we are, we all long to feel safe. A foundation that can be anchored, that can be the anchor that which we can turn to during the most turbulent seasons of life. We want that in our lives. Yet, yet we are keenly aware, no matter how secure, safe, and wonderful life may feel at this time, may feel today, it will not always remain that way. If you live life long enough, We've experienced joys and highs of life, but we've also experienced one of the challenging and difficult seasons as well. And the Bible does not only acknowledge the presence of trials and tribulations, but it continues throughout the books, throughout the biblical writers. They continue to remind us that we believers are not exempt from the challenges of the world. Ecclesiastes, book of Job. Right? does not say when you come to Christ, you will, not, you will not face any storms. It does not say that. Notice here, the same storms hit both homes, which, which means obedience to Christ is not so much protection from troubles. That's what we assume sometimes. If we obey Jesus, we're not going to face any trials. That's not true. As protection in the troubles, right? Let me, let me repeat myself. Obedience to Christ is not so much protection from troubles themselves as protection in the troubles. Just as the rock under a house does not shield the house from the storm rather than supports during it. And so, so really, following Christ will not lead us to road without suffering and pain. I think this is something we always come back to here at King's Cross, the idea of suffering. And now that's very much part of what it means to, to walk with Christ. And, and really, we live in a broken world with broken people. We ourselves are broken in many ways. And so, so the idea of life without suffering doesn't really make sense. Until God calls us, calls us home, we're going to live in the reality of suffering. Not always, but suffering is very much part of our everyday life. In fact, if you think about it, suffering is intricately woven into the, the very core of the gospel narrative. Right? Just as Christ suffered on the cross for the salvation of humanity, we too are we too are called to embrace our own crosses. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You want to follow what I do my ways? Take up your cross. Embrace the cross. This means there are times God will call you and I to places and experiences that we may not desire in order to create something in us that we cannot attain on our own. Again, there are times God may call us to seasons and experiences and people and situations that we may not want to be in. Anyone? Maybe right now you're in that situation. And, all, and, and, and when, when I find myself in those difficult, challenging seasons, you know what I want? I just want God to get me out of that season. 
God, would you just hit, hit a reset button for me? God, would you just let me out? But the reality is, often through Scripture, what we see is God continues to invite us to the wilderness, not to make our lives miserable and difficult, but there is something that God wants, wants, us, wants to do something in us through our seasons uh, in the wilderness. And again, some of you guys are going through it right now. I sat with some of you guys, and you guys are telling me what you guys are going through. Going through something really hard and difficult. Whether it's relationship in your lives, whether it's physical or emotional health, finances, things from the past, things that happened when you were a kid. Perhaps it's your marriage. Perhaps it's parenting. And again, the most natural response is, God, I want to be rescued. I want out. I I just want this pain to end. I just want this suffering to, to be done. Yet again, friends, could it be that God has allowed these experiences in your life in order to produce in you something that you cannot attain on your own? Listen to Apostle Paul in his letter to Romans, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, he writes to a group of Jewish Christians who are struggling, who are under immense persecution, who are thinking about leaving faith and going back to Judaism. He writes to them, he says, in Romans 5, 3 to 5, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul says, rejoice in our suffering, because if we suffer the right way, because there is a right way to suffer, and there's a wrong way to suffer. Not all suffering leads us to hope and character and endurance. I've seen people that have gone through horrible things, come out of the other side completely broken. But if we learn to suffer in the right way, when we suffer in the right right way, it will produce perseverance. And when we persevere in the right way, it will build character and hope. So so I want to encourage you guys, as you're facing something really challenging in your life right now, whatever that is, I've been there, I'll, I'll probably be there soon. Suffering is just part of life here on this earth. I hope you're encouraged to hear that God wants to do something through your pain. Your pain is not without purpose. And sometimes you might not know. I remember like two and a half years ago, I went through something really, really difficult, really, really traumatic. Just like I I wanted to be done with ministry. I wanted to be like, I'll sell cars, I'll do whatever. And I still revisit, right? I still have those memories, like traumatic experiences, right? And I still ask God, God, what was that about? Three years later, I, have no, I still don't have the full picture. And I think that's sometimes life. I wish I could say, you know what? After you suffer for a while and you look back, everything seems like God was using it for, for his glory. But again, there is part of life that we might not truly understand until he calls us home. But I do know those seasons of suffering and, and pain and questioning has really Help me to build endurance and character and, and, and hope 
What's the hope? I hope I want to be home. I don't want to live on this earth much longer. I want to be home. That's the hope. Observation two, sandy foundation. As we talked about earlier, human, there's all of us, right? This human desire for stability, security, and a sense of safety is innate. Some find this assurance through financial means. Others through affirmation and validation from others that we respect, that we love. For some of us, it's heavily relying on our own sense of growth, self-reflection, setting goals, becoming the best version of ourselves. I think that's very popular in our culture, right? You, you watch these YouTube reels, every, you know, all these random people telling you three life lessons, right? Someone who's like 90, let me tell you one thing I would, I would do differently. Finances, affirmation through relationships, goal setting, becoming a better version of yourself. All these things are helpful pillars in building your life. I don't think they're, they're, they're bad, they're wrong. They are helpful pillars that can provide sense of security. If, if you've got no money in your bank, you're not going to feel secure. If you gamble away all your money, you're not going to feel like, oh, I could, I could survive. So, so yes, finances and all of these the important things, they're helpful pillars in building a, a, a life that feels safe. But what they don't do for you is they make, they're, they're good pillars, but they're terrible anchors. Especially when storms of life arrive at our doorstep, finances, relationships, becoming the best version of yourself, or, or anything you look to, they make terrible, terrible anchors. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, Jesus, is not, Jesus is not saying, hey, don't turn to these things. What Jesus is saying is don't let these things become the foundation where you set your life on, where you build your house on, because they will fail. When the storm comes, when life unravels, when challenges come our way, they will not be able to hold you up. And only those who hear my words and put them into practice are the ones who can truly withstand storms of life. And, and, and I'm sure, when I'm preaching this, and when, when I was thinking about preaching this, I'm sure most of us desire to do just that, follow Jesus' words. Like we, we want to believe, and we want to follow, and really we want to be able to be faithful to Jesus' words. I don't think that's in question for most of us. Yet we continue to struggle. I struggle, you struggle, continue to struggle to really put Jesus' words into our daily lives. For some of us, his teaching may seem outdated or impractical in the face of life's demands, especially when life seems so unrelenting, right? I, a few months ago, I was invited to like a Korean worship service on a Friday night, and there were a bunch of de-churched D-church meaning people that have left church, young people coming to worship in this like really cool worship setting. People were there. And after, it was like everybody in their 20s and me, you know, my 40s. They're like, who's this random Kyopo Korean guy, right? And we're in a small group and I asked a lot of these young people, I was like, I was like, hey, how come you're not? Because they were sharing, hey, I really need to look for a church. I haven't gone to church for years, right? And I remember just talking to them, asking, I thought, 
many of them have left church because of hurt and pain. And really, when, when I talk to many of these young people, it's like life is so hard. I'm not from Seoul. I moved from Pohang to move here. And I'm just trying to make it. I'm trying to be able to like find a place to be able to rent out. You know, pay is low, cost is high. And I remember just re- realized, man, people, young people trying to build out their career in Seoul, it's not easy. They're getting paid like 1.5 and rent is like a mill. Like, how does that work? Leaving these tiny homes or, you know, many of these, many of the young people, they actually eat their lunch in like these convenience stores. I remember like when I was um, working, when I was at, uh, when, we were at, when we had an office in another place, I remember walking out of my office going to lunch, like a bunch of people at convenience stores just grabbing like ramen and kimbap. And I realized, man, it's hard to survive in a city like this. Others of us might view Jesus' words here in Matthew 5-7 to as overly optimistic, particularly when navigating a world fueled by materialism, corruption, competition, this desire for instantaneous gratification. Right? There are many reasons why we struggle to put Jesus' words into practice. Yet if we're honest, I think one of the common reasons of our failure in this area, at the core, it's not that we don't have faith in Jesus. It's not that we don't trust in the words of Jesus. I think we, many of us, we do. Yet, we operate in a world with many competing narratives that we have a hard time not trusting. The core issue is not lack of faith, but for many of us, it's, it's a faith that has been misplaced in somewhere else or something else. We believe, but we also believe in all these other promises, in our culture, in our society, all the narratives. Why do we envy? Right? We, we struggle with envy. Why do we envy? Why, do we, why are we greedy? Why do we struggle with lust? See, we become envious of others when we invest our faith in the illusion that material possessions or social status define our true worth. We become envious, right, when we assume not our identity in Christ, not what Christ has done for me, but our whatever, our Porsche or our Cartier bag or our... What, what, yeah, I don't know, but, but, but we, we have this. We're like, if I don't have, or, or our career, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a professor, or I'm someone else, I'm a director. And, 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 and when we believe, hey, these things are going to really give me Cartier, but everyone's laughing because like Cartier, is that Cartier? Did I say it wrong? Is it Cartier? Cartier? Whatever, whatever that is, right? Um, we... Invest our faith in the illusion that material possessions and social status define our true worth. Not Christ, but what we wear, what we drive, where we live. That's when we become envious of others. Greed, in its essence, declared that accumulation and consumption are the ultimate pursuits. It convinces us that happiness and fulfillment can be found in the relentless pursuit of wealth and possessions which blinds us to the true source of contentment and joy. You love your iPhone 14 until iPhone 15 comes out. 
And I, I've all of a sudden, it, it, I mean, I, honestly, 14, 15, it's exactly the same phone. They got like one different future, just charging you double the price. But we're like, well, 14 now is outdated. Get, I mean, it's crazy how we think about in this city, I think that's one of our idols. Materials, what we wear. When you think about just how this city operates, just the way people think about perception, what we like my apartment, when I moved in like eight years ago, we we're all driving like Hyundai's and Kia's. In our, in our line, I think our car is the only Korean car. Everything's like foreign. But I'm like, how can they afford these cars? Like, like I mean, obviously, like, there, there is this gap between what they can afford and what, but, but I ask my neighbors, they're like, well, you got to have a nice car. Like, when you go to meetings, when you meet somebody, it's a, it's a sign of respect. Like, they're going to respect you. But it's true. Like, when I see someone riding a nice car, I, 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 I don't want to, like, be rude to them, right? There is that in this, in this city. There's this culture. The struggle with lust, be it for physical pleasure, power, or control, often arises from a distorted understanding of our desires. Instead of seeking fulfillment within the boundaries God has set in our lives, we succumb to the lure of instant, immediate gratification. Lust can cloud our judgment and lead us down the path that ultimately leaves us feeling empty and disconnected. But that for that moment, what are we doing? We're buying that narrative. If I could experience this, if I could have this, if I could grab this, leaving us feeling empty and disconnected because it cannot fulfill what it promises. Our failure to obey reveals a disconnect between what we profess as Jesus as our perceived Savior, right, and the faith in Jesus' teaching, but there is this, this allocation of our trust in, in, in a completely different place. Jesus may be a perceived Savior, but often he is not our functional Savior. I think uh, Pastor Paul Tripp, this is his whole thing, right? For many of us, we say, Jesus, we love you. You're our Lord. You're our Savior. We follow you. But for many of us, we, Jesus is not our functional Savior, something else. Whatever, your functional Savior may be very different from my functional Savior. But what he's saying is, for many of us, many Christians that grew up in the church, that sing the songs, that, 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 that profess to love God, there's always these functional Saviors that we actually believe in. These are all shaky, sandy grounds. In our tech-driven culture, right, we reboot, reboot phones. When we set phones. When our phones start, stop working, we reboot them or reset them. Toasters, computers, right, to solve problems. And I think in, in some ways, in, this, in that culture... Many of us assume we can just reboot our life, reboot an area of our life. However, we know life does not operate in the same way. See, we overlook the interconnected nature of life, believing that a simple reboot will suffice for their marriage, for relationships, family, job, finances, expressions like, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to just find a new job. I'm going to find a new group of friends. I'm going to find a new wife or new husband. I'll file for bankruptcy. Hit the reset button and start over. Yet we know life is much more complex 
than a phone or a toaster or a car. Unfortunately, a reboot won't make these deep-seated issues disappear. Changing jobs, remarrying, relocation might provide a temporary relief. But until a foundational shift occurs, the, the root problems will continue to persist, persist. I have a friend who's always like, man, my boss is so dumb, so incompetent. I'm so much smarter. And he's always switching jobs. Like to Google, to this job, to this job. And every time his complaint is, well, my, my boss is so, so incapable. I'm, I'm just, and I'm like, after a while, I'm like, hey, man, after a while, you're the problem. You just think you're, you're so smart. You're so amazing. You think, oh, you're just moving to another company. You're going to feel like, you're going to feel like this, this job is for you. No. After a while, common denominator is you. After a while, common denominator is us. We got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, as much as we want to start something new and reset, it's like, hey, maybe it's us. Following the collapse of the department store, right? I can't, no, I can't say Sampung department store. The investigation uncovered that the building was initially constructed as an apartment complex. Did you know that? Initially, it was an ap- apartment complex, but it underwent illegal structural modifications, turning it into a retail space. So instead of demolishing and rebuilding, which they, the people in, in, in charge should have done to build this, this mall, what they did was they just illegally restructured it. And the decision that was made to make minor changes and reopen it tragically cost over 500 lives. Right? The, the building, they thought, hey, we can just make it look like a mall. We can just change this, change that, and we can reopen. But fundamentally, it, there was a root issue of, of this, this was not built to be a mall. It was built to be an apartment, and it could not hold the weight that it was holding. And verse 27, Jesus' warning here is sobering. He says, the house, the foolish man's house built on sand fell greatly. The key, the key word here is great was the fall of it. Here Jesus gives a sobering warning, the message that strikes at the heart of a pervasive human desire, greatness. We live in a culture where the pursuit of greatness has become almost an obsession. I gave this example before. There is a place called No Brand Burger. No Brand Burger. I think they're, they've shut down, right? I've, so first time I saw this burger shop, No Brand Burger Shop, their slogan was, why pay more? It's good enough. Why pay more? It's good enough. It's like cheaper. So I remember going to burger shop. I'm like, I don't want to eat this burger. I don't want good enough. I want like, if I'm going to have a burger, I want a really good burger. And I, and I thought about, hey, that's actually the mindset of how we live our lives. Like, we, there's, there's this obsession. We are obsessed with greatness. There are many TED Talks about this whole idea of pursuing greatness in our culture. So if you can't be great, people don't even want to try. There's this whole idea of, hey, if you can't be the best, why even try? If you can't be like Apple or Samsung, why make phones? Why do that? Idea of being just good enough is never enough, at least in our culture, because everyone is striving for continuous improvement and success. 
success at a level that, that is just not possible. Social media, right, TikTok, Instagram, and, and whatever social media young people are using that I, I might no, not know about have created a culture where people feel they need to show a version of their lives that fit the idea of greatness society has set. Everyone ends up comparing themselves to these impossible standards. You, you, you log on to TikTok or, or Instagram and you see these people that are doing amazing things all the time. You're like, what am I doing? Just sitting in my bathroom, just going through these reels. Like, what am I doing? What's my life? But that's not reality, right? It's just a picture of the life that the, the world says, this is great. And Jesus uh, and Jesus' words in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, the way he ends his sermon about greatness is a sobering warning for the allure of greatness, a life fixated on the sensational rather than the simple, the charismatic rather than the faithful, the prophetic rather than the compassionate. Jesus is warning us, friends, Jesus is warning you and I that this is a path that leads to a different kind of greatness, a great collapse. What Jesus has called us throughout his time on this earth is for you and I to be simple rather than sensational, to be faithful rather than charismatic, compassionate rather than prophetic. That's the type of greatness that Jesus has not only called us to, but he has modeled for us. Third and final observation, true greatness. Let's conclude our time by looking at the profound nature of Jesus, who though deserving of all honor and glory, chose to walk among us in flesh and blood. He came in flesh and blood among the marginalized, among the sinners, among the outcasts. His whole life was a testament to the greatness that arise not from pursuit of personal glory, but from a willingness to serve to lift the downtrodden, to extend the hand of compassion to the brokenhearted, to to spend time with those that no one care to love. And even at the end of Jesus' life, he was lifted up, not among the famous, successful, powerful leaders, but at the end of his life, he was lifted up among the worst of criminals, one on his left, one on his right, And Jesus has this wonderful conversation, even at the end of his life. And and, and we see what Jesus has modeled for us, and we we, we look at what we desire, often what we desire. There's such gap, such gap of what we think is actually great. Sandy ground. Friends, this is the gospel. The one who had no sin bore the weight of the sins of humanity. And the cross serves as a stark reminder that true greatness demands a willingness to lay down one's life for the sake of others. Yet the story of Jesus does not end with the cross. We know that. For Jesus rose from the dead conquering sin and death You see, if you think about the resurrection, what is the resurrection? The resurrection is the accumulation of a life lived in perfect alignment with God's will. A life 
that despite facing greatest trial, of, stood the storm of death came out the other side victorious. And it's that very victory that enables you and I not, to not only be invited to the house of the Father, but to live according to what he says. Very, let me be very clear, friends. We're not saved by our obedience. That's not the point of the parable. We're not saved by our ability to trust and build our lives on Jesus' words. That's not what saves us. Yet, yet what I think Jesus is getting at in this parable is this, though. A true mark of a believer, a true mark of a transformed life is life that's built on Jesus' words. Again, not that this thing saves us, but that this is actually sign or proof or result of people that their lives have been transformed. That we would actually want to build our lives according to Jesus' words. We'd actually want to root ourselves in the words of Jesus. And I pray that's the type of greatness that we can display as we go to go back to our homes, go back to our workplace, go back to our schools, go back to our relationships. Not greatness that the world says, oh, sensational, prophetic, charismatic. No, faithful, simple. That's what God has called us. Amen? Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Um, before I pray, can I give you a moment to pray? Um, and, and prayer is, Lord, can, can you help us um, identify some of the narratives that we have believed? Can you help me identify some of the things I actually really love more than perhaps your words? Um, and would you help me to overcome these competing narratives? In the parable of the soil, one of the seeds in Mark 4 fell on thorns. And Jesus was saying about the thorns, you have faith, there is growth, but you remain, you remain fruitless because there are all these competing things, desire, for the world, desire for wealth. And unless we can identify and really intentionally root out these thorns in our lives, we're not going to be able to grow. So say, Lord, would you reveal some of the thorns in our lives? Let's pray. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we ask, Father, for the thorns in our lives. weed out the thorns, whatever competing agendas, competing ideas, competing desires that we have in us, God, I pray that you would weed out. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, God.
Can we also pray? Lord, we want to live a life that's fixated not on the sensational, but the simple. Not on charismatic, but faithful. Not being prophetic, but compassionate. Lord, would you teach us how to be simple? Would you teach us how to be faithful? Would you teach us how to be compassionate in the small things, in the unseen areas of our lives? Holy Spirit, would you help us to grow in that area? Let's pray together. Father, just pray for wisdom as we live our lives. Pray for in our people in our congregation, people in our community, to be known as people that are simple, that are faithful, people that are known as those that are compassionate. Father, we just pray, continue to weed us out of these lies and false narratives and we trust and hold on to you, God. Just as you live life, just as you love people, Lord, teach us how to love people. Teach us how to love people, God, in our own areas, God. prayer can we pray Um, Lord these experiences in our lives experiences that we may not enjoy suffering pain and challenges Lord would you uh, remind me that you're in them Lord you remind me that you have a purpose in them Lord would you remind me that you want to do something new in our hearts through these experiences help us not to despise these seasons but rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Lord, let that be true in in my life. Let's pray together. Father, there's the suffering that I face today, the challenges that I face today, the hopelessness I face today. I know, God, you're doing something new. I know, God, there's a purpose and all that things we're experiencing. So I pray that, Lord, you would move in this place, in this area, God. Touch us, God. Renew, restore us, God, our desire for who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this wisdom. Thank you for this story. And Lord, often we are like the foolish builder. Um, We are uh, like the foolish man uh, who fails to slow down and really heed your words, God. Uh, But without you, uh, our house will be ruined. 
So we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. And Lord, especially people in our community who are struggling, who are facing real and difficult, challenging experiences, Lord, would you remind them, your God who not only saves us, but who is in our suffering, who knows our pain, who knows and who sees our tears. Lord, would you comfort us once again. And Lord, would you continue to build us up, give us courage to face these trials, to face these challenges, to know that, Lord, they're not without purpose. Thank you for just your goodness. Thank you for this reminder. We love you. We thank you. Just let me pray. Amen. Church, uh, we're going to go to time of communion together.